chapter 15, verse 16. Good morning, everybody. How do you like this brisk little jolt of cold weather we're having? It's bracing. It's refreshing. Love it, don't you? I can tell the Floridians. Uh, but I always appreciate a little bit of cold. I mean, before we go from hot to blazing. All right. Have you found it? John chapter 15? Okay. Uh, John 15, beginning in verse 16. I want to begin a new series today. It's going to be brief this week, next week. And um, we'll take our text from John and go from there. Um, Jesus is talking to his disciples, but for our purposes, he's talking through his disciples to us. And this is what he's saying to you and I today. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I've commanded you so that you will love one another. If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but because I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So I want to call attention to this opening statement and, and his, his closing comment. He said, you didn't choose me, but I chose you to go and bear fruit. I chose you. And then he closes with, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Look, if you are working at being a fruitful Christian and you're doing it under the conviction that you've made a choice, a decision, to follow God. You've chosen to follow Jesus, and you're laboring under that concept to bear fruit. Satan's going to grind the life out of you as you toil. Because if you have the relationship with the Lord that you have because you chose him, and in your mind, that's the basis of your relationship is your choice of him, then it's based on your own strength and your own will to to navigate through that relationship. And Satan will pick apart your imperfections and he will make your life miserable. But if you have a relationship with the Lord because he chose you, then it's based on the strength of his will and his choice, the relationship that you have. And he has already defeated Satan with regard to you. When Jesus went to Calvary's cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. When he died and he rose from the dead victorious and triumphant, that triumph was for you and I. So Jesus has already dealt with the adversary concerning our life. And so when our relationship is based on the fact that I know he chose me, that needs to permeate our heart. That needs to... That needs to be the founding ideal in our mind when we think about our relationship with Jesus because the devil's going to try to move that dial every time your weakness shows up or you struggle in your life. 
He's going to try to move that dial so that you see the responsibility of your relationship is completely based on you. You see yourself as being the one who decided to follow Jesus. In Luke chapter 10, verse 18 and 19, Jesus said to the disciples, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. So look, he says, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy, and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. Nothing will injure you. So why would you have that kind of authority? Where does that come from? That ability to walk in dangerous places in life and yet not be defeated by them, not be destroyed, not be injured by them. Jesus said, I saw Satan fall, and I am the one who has the relationship with you. It is my authority that I've given you. You see, your walk with the Lord is not based on the authority of your decision to follow Jesus. It's based on the authority of his decision to call you. The minute he knocked on the door of your heart, that was Jesus choosing you. You simply chose what God chose. You know, your ability to bear fruit comes from knowing that your connection to Jesus was not your choice, but his choice. Because then, <clears throat> and we all do this, then when you weaken under pressure, you don't have to lift up your hands. How many have weakened under pressure? Yeah, I did on Wednesday. I'm just, you know. Um, then when you weaken under pressure or when you get pulled to one side or the other by your distractions or you're, or you're tempted to renegotiate the terms of your commitment to the Lord or you consider reordering the priorities of your life to make church less of an imposition on your schedule, any of these things, when you find your relationship is deteriorating, it's crumbling, it's, it's breaking down under pressure, it's in that moment when you're pressured to dial back Jesus, dial back your relationship with him. If you know that he chose you, then you know that in those moments when life's pressures are pushing you and causing pressure on your relationship with the Lord, you know that a force of a greater decision is holding you up at that moment. That when your decision and your commitment begins to give way, to crumble, to break down, what is it that we know and discover is that he chose me. He's holding me. I'm being upheld by the power of a different decision, a greater decision, the decision Jesus made to come after me. Praise the Lord. And, and if you're a Christian, if you're saved, it's not because you decided to believe the Bible. It's great to believe the Bible. It's not just because you decided to go to church or you said, you know, I, I need to turn my life around. All those things are good. But the moment that you realized that Jesus is real, you asked him to come into your heart and he came in you realize at that moment he chose you. He drew you. A decision stronger than your own was reminding you with refreshing assurance that Jesus chose you. And despite your weakness, he remains resolved. When I'm ready to throw in the towel, 
The Lord isn't ready to throw in the towel. He's resolved. He always will be. He doesn't have to throw in the towel. He doesn't have to succumb to Satan's accusations against you. He doesn't negotiate your relationship based on what the devil says about you. He is resolved because he's already defeated Satan with regard to you. It wasn't for his sake that he went to Calvary. It wasn't his battle at Calvary. It was yours. It was mine. It was Satan defeated on your behalf, not on his behalf. Your connection to God, your relationship with Jesus, your calling to serve him wasn't your initiative. It was his initiative. He came up with the idea of saving you, of calling you, and he's the one keeping you in that relationship and keeping you in that call. In Philippians 2.13, one of my favorite verses, you, it's a nice short one, and uh, if this isn't part of your arsenal, if this isn't part of your personal equipment, part of your kit, you need to make it. You need to memorize it, put it in there. Philippians 2.13, it says this, the one bringing forth fruit in you, the one who is bringing forth in you both the desire and the effort for the sake of his good pleasure is God. So it's not you and I who are bringing forth desire for God. God is working that desire in us. Or the effort, the work to do his good pleasure that's coming from him. He's the one putting that in, you and I. And every time we just turn our attention to him and say, Lord, I'm sorry for the millionth time. If your relationship with God was your idea, then you, you could throw in the towel and say, I'm just not good at this. I'm a failure. And just say, forget it, Lord. Go find somebody who will be better. And Jesus didn't come for better people because he didn't come for people that he would depend upon their decision to keep. He came for those that need him. Amen. Hallelujah. He loves those that need him. It's his care, his love, his compassion that caused him to fight that battle for us, and it's him working in us to respond to him. So let me talk for a minute about the nature of your bond with Jesus because he said, I chose you. Right, So he has created that bond with us. Let's look for a moment about, about what is that bond like? What is the glue? What is the effect upon our life of his choosing of us? Jesus said, I chose you out of the world. Everyone say that with me. I chose you out of the world. Okay, so Jesus said, I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. So <clears throat> we're going to talk about the word holy and holiness. And the minute you use the word holy, especially from a pulpit in a church setting, I mean the mind pops off with all kinds of religious ideas and concepts. And when we think of holiness, we think of all of these uh, difficult human efforts to make deep sacrifices, to keep yourself completely separated from the world in every regard so that the Lord will um, be proud of you, 
and he'll be impressed. He'll be like, well, yeah, that, that woman is kind of like me. Look, at he, she, she has nothing to do with the world. She just sits in her abbey and just reads her Bible and, you know, works on having just a pure mind. I rather like her. I, I've, that's, that's somebody I can get along with. That's the kind of idea that we get of holy. You know, you put on certain clothing. You act a certain way. You only go to certain places. Well, I want to break that down uh, for you and take a real look at what the Bible really says about what holiness really is. The nature of your bond to Jesus is holy. Um, for example, he said, I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So Jesus is holy. And we're going to, I'm going to give you a working definition of what holy means in a moment. I just want to tell you, though, the Bible makes very clear, Jesus is holy. And when he chose you to be with him, it made you holy. That's what you need to understand. He didn't choose you so that you could go out and act holy, and then he would be approving of the way you act, and he would embrace you. He embraced you while you were in sin, broken, and very much unholy. It was the act of him choosing you and bringing you to himself that made you holy. Because he's holy when he took hold of you and brought you to himself as his son or as his daughter. That made you a holy thing, a holy pick, uh, person. I was, in, um, I was in the store the other day picking out some avocados. Anybody like avocado? You know what it's like. You go to the bin, and they're hard. And you want to take one home right now, do something with it right? So you're in there. Move. I am just praying the whole time because they're stacked up like a pyramid. And I know that I see the edge of one down in there and it looks soft to me. So I'm picking them apart. I'm moving them around and, and I'm just hoping the whole thing doesn't come down in the produce aisle. And we have a landslide of avocados running all over the floor and there's, the, there's that goofball old guy standing there. I got it! I got it. So fortunately, I've never um, totally broken up an avocado pyramid. But I was in there thinking about it as I was moving them. Eh, that one's not ready yet. No, nope, that one's not ready. I found four of them that were pretty much ready, and I was able to take them home. One of them I could use right away. So it's, it's kind of like picking avocados from the bin in the produce section. When you think about God chose you, it says he picked you, chose you out of the world. So <clears throat> I delivered that avocado from the avocado bin. Do you understand? I took it out of the bin, took it home with me. It's my avocado. It's no longer in the avocado bin, right? So when Jesus chose you, his act of taking you was the hand of God taking you out of the world. Now, you still live on earth. You still live among people. But in the spiritual sense of the word, you were plucked out of the world. You became holy. Now, please understand, I have never seen anybody walk their cart by the avocado bin wanting avocados, and just because they want the avocados, the avocados are jumping off the bin rolling across for and climbing into the cart. The avocados don't choose you. 
right? You choose the avocados. So <clears throat> Jesus is holy. When he chooses you to be with him, he makes you holy. First Peter <clears throat> chapter 1, verse 15 and 16 says, But as the one who called you is holy, you yourselves also be holy in all of your conduct and manner of living. Now, if we were to stop there, we would think that what Jesus is doing is he's laying down the conditions for having a relationship with him. You better behave holy if, we, if you're going to be with me, right? It sounds like that. And I think there is an element to it. Our response to him choosing us does have an effect on us that we don't go crawling back in with the avocados, back to our old thing, and and just live a worldly life. So obviously that's part of it. I don't want to minimize that. But the, the problem with just thinking that way is that you've, you see that verse, because I am holy, you yourselves be holy in all of your conduct and manner of living. But what if he's not threatening you? What if he's prophesying to you what you're going to be rather than threatening you about what he demands that you do? What if he's not saying, look, you better be holy in your conduct? What if he's prophesying and saying, you will be holy because I've chosen you? The mark upon your life that I have chosen you is that you're not going to want that anymore. You're going to be this way. Where you were that way, you're now going to be different. I will impact you and I will change you. I will have an impact upon your life. So he says, you yourselves, for I am holy, be holy in all manner of living. And it goes on to say, for it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. So there it is. That wasn't a threat. That was a prophetic proclamation. You shall be holy because I am holy. And I put my hand on you. I chose you. Now, when he put his hand on you and chose you and picked you, he's holy. And when he touched you, your names were instantly written in the Lamb's book of life. Heaven was your home. Jesus is your Lord. God is your heavenly Father. But you don't feel holy. You feel still very green and maybe hard. And you don't necessarily see all those habits changing. And so, According to your emotions, according to what you see in the mirror when you think of yourself or look at yourself, you are probably tempted to think, am I really saved? Is, is Jesus really Lord of my life? And you might be tempted to, to feel like, hmm, I don't know if I really am being holy. But he didn't say, you shall act holy and feel holy. He said, you will be holy because I am holy. I'm working out my holiness because I am holy. I'm just being what I am. And God has always dealt with people like that. God said to Abraham when he first called Abraham, he said, you are father of many nations. Abraham was 90 years old, his wife 10 years younger, and she was barren. They had no children. And yet God said, you are the father of many nations. So Abraham was going around telling everybody when 
When they asked him what his name was, he said, my name's Abraham, which means father of many nations. No matter how people may have snickered or he may have felt uncomfortable making that declaration, the fact is that Abraham chose by faith to believe that he was who God said that he was. And that really is the key to knowing and walking with Jesus, is believing in your heart that what God says about you is true, and Jesus made it true when he came into your life. So listen, let me give you this sentence. Here's $75,000. If you could cash this in, you'd have a nice little pile of money. Here it is. Being holy isn't the condition for which Jesus chooses you. It's the result of Jesus choosing you. You can write that down in the margin of your Bible. Being holy isn't the condition for Jesus choosing you. It's the result of Jesus choosing you. Jesus chose you. And I, I want particularly those that may be hard on yourself and maybe look at yourself saying, I, I know unsaved people that are more holy than I am sometimes. You might, you might be, and, and, and rightly so, you might be, Ashamed of your behavior, ashamed of the things you do. I know when I do wrong things, I'm ashamed of it. But, but the reason Satan wants to use that against you is to get you to quit believing that God chose you, that you are his, his hand is upon your life. That's the thing you must never give up. You must always know he chose me. So keep in mind when I say to you that... Jesus chose you with the exact same desire and intentionality with which he chose Peter. We love to read the story of Peter's fishing. Hasn't caught any fish. Jesus says, drop the nets for a catch. And Jesus, then Peter's ashamed that he's a man with no faith. And Jesus says, don't worry about it. I'm going to make you fisher of men. We love that story. Jesus calls him and he says, if I am calling you, and by me calling you, I'm going to change you. You're going to become a fisherman. You're not just going to catch fish. You're going to catch men. You're going to catch souls. So just know that with, the, with no less a degree of love, with no less of a purpose or an intentionality, the day Jesus called you, the day he got a hold of you, he loved you, called you with the same deep intention that he did Peter. You are no less because each one of us, our salvation is based on his love for us, and there is no limit to that. Can you say amen? In fact, um, there's two things it says in the gospel about Jesus that are, again, you should put these in your arsenal. Jesus chose his disciples in Mark chapter 3, verse 14. It says that after being up on a mountain all night praying, he came down and he picked or he chose 12 and so where it talks about Jesus picked the 12, it says he chose them to be with him. And from the moment he chose them, they were with him. He chose the traitor, Judas, knowing he was a traitor, knowing that Judas would never really accept that choice. He would never really bond with it. He saw an opportunity. But Jesus deliberately do it, did it because he knew, I've got to get a traitor from somewhere. Somebody's got to betray me, right? So Jesus 
picked you to be with him. And then, that was right at the beginning of his ministry, three and a half years later, at the end of his ministry, when he's in the garden praying with his father, hours before he's going to be crucified, it says in John chapter 17, verse 12, that he says to the father, those whom you gave me, I have kept. I have kept those who you gave me. Let me tell you, Jesus knows how to keep people. Jesus is a keeper of souls. He's keeping you. It's not your relationship that's keeping Jesus. It's his relationship that's keeping you. The word holy, I told you I'd give you a little definition of holy. Holy simply refers to the realm of God. Now, God is omnipresent. He is spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The realm of God is what holy is. So holy refers to the realm of God, and your relationship with him sits in that realm. When he picked the avocado out of the pile, where did he put it? He put it in his realm. When he saved you, when he made you, his son, your, his daughter, he brought you into his realm. So you, your relationship with Jesus is in a holy place. Your relationship with Jesus is holy. He's made you holy. Somebody say praise the Lord. So holiness means, holiness literally means otherness. Jesus, God, is other than the world. He's beyond the world. He is other than the world. He's the creator of the world. So God is other than the world. And what that means is that holiness means God is not subject to the world. He made the world. The world didn't make him. So he's not subject to the world. So holiness is, you could look at holiness as being divine objectivity. God in his realm is not moved by, defiled by, pressured by the world. He is always himself. He is always the I am. He is always what he is. And the Bible says at the core of the I am, God is love. When Jesus shows up, it says he was filled with truth, grace and truth. So he is always full of grace and truth. He is love. He is righteousness. He is merciful, kindness. So God is not subject to the world. The world doesn't impact what he is. He is outside the world. That is pure holiness. That's what he does to you and I. He, in effect, makes his impact on you so that you and I are also not slaves to the world. When you're walking with him, his holiness works in you in such a way that the world is not turning your head around. The world that may have enslaved you at one point is no longer impacting you in that way. That's true holiness. We saw that holiness perfectly modeled in Jesus in that he wasn't indifferent to the world. He was compassionate, loving, caring, cared for the world deeply, but at the same time, he was free from the world. The problem with our human love is that our human love oftentimes is subject to the world at the same time. So, 
But his love isn't. He's not indifferent. He's kind. He's merciful. He's gracious. But he is not controlled by the people that he loves. And I'm glad for that. Because our relationship then is navigated by his grace, by his love for me, not by my behavior. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, so by choosing you, Jesus has joined you to himself, making your relationship holy. So when God tells you to be holy, for he is holy, he is in effect saying to you, embrace your relationship with me because it's heavenly. It's higher than the world. It's stronger than life because that's where I have placed you. So the next time you are going through a time of great discouragement because you're in the fire, you're in the fiery trial, and you know darn good and well you lit that fire yourself, which is usually the fire that most of us find ourselves in. Is that not right? So the next time you're in that place, you think, again, God must be totally, he's probably wanting to move on, find somebody else. It's not going to be as big of a problem, big of a drag upon his grace. You need to remember that your relationship with him was placed in another worldly and outside a place of God's realm. That's where your relationship is. Hallelujah. So Ephesians 2.6 describes it and says, For he has raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Jesus Christ. So when he picked you, immediately when he raised from the dead, you're with him. So you're still walking here upon the earth, going through your struggles and trials, but the Bible says you're actually seated the authority of your relationship, God sees you banging away at it, working it out. It's all right. You're going to get there. Nothing can separate you from his love. Praise God. So basically when he says, I have chosen you out of the world, he is basically saying, my choice elevated you out of the world's dominion, made you part of my kingdom. And I'm going to close kind of around the corner with the, the tag and the end of his comment. He says, I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Let's deal with that for a few minutes. Therefore the world hates you. Now, when he says the world hates you, he doesn't mean everyone in the world hates you because thousands of people love Jesus and followed him, although they were fickle. Uh, but still, when he refers to the world, what is he referring to? He's referring to, in essence, the spirit of sin, the spirit of Satan that controls the world. So when he says the world hates you, he's saying the world hated me before it hated you. Satan, the spirit of sin in the world, not everybody in the world who's unsaved is completely and totally under the control of Satan. Um, so the world in this language, this biblical language is talking about that spirit of the world that hates God. So by choosing you out of the world, you must understand that it provoked the spirit of the world against you. The minute you became holy, Terry, the minute you got saved and Jesus became your Lord, the spirit of the world, that spirit of rebellion, of sin against God, saw you and hated you. It hated Jesus and it hates you. So 
You picked up a savior, but you also picked up an enemy in the process. Um, so because of sin, the world has a chip on its shoulder. How many of you remember that phrase? It has a chip on its shoulder. It's got a negative attitude, disposition against God of hospitality. The more that you live as one chosen by Jesus, the more the world's going to persecute you for rejecting it. The world has a chip on its shoulder. It doesn't like losing people that have been under its control. So that spirit of sin is going to come after you. You're marked. You've got an enemy. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Jesus said, I chose you. I love you. But because of it, the world hates you. Just know that it hated me before it hated you. That's when you must know that Jesus chose you. You have to cling to that. You have to base yourself on that more than you chose him. He chose you more than you chose him. He's holding you even when the world is stressing your hold on him. He's holding you. You're trying to hold, back, hold him back, and the world's trying to pry your fingers off of that grip. Sometimes it works, but he won't let you go. Hallelujah. And let me also go on to say that if you conceal from the world the fact that Jesus chose you, if you try to hide and conceal that you're a chosen chosen by God from the world so that the world will accept you, Satan's going to smell a traitor. He'll sniff you out. He'll smell a traitor. He'll know that you're a traitor to Jesus. He'll sense that crack in you. And he'll immediately go to work on you and try to put that wedge in your relationship with Jesus. And you know how he does it? He puts pressure on you to believe that you chose Jesus rather than he chose you. Because if he can get you into that mindset, he can take you apart. All he has to do is work on your failings, your shortcomings, and discourage you about yourself. By getting you to think that your relationship with God is all up to you. And that God is simply monitoring your behavior to determine how he's going to be involved with you. Well, all I can say to you, because it's not going to do any good to keep repeating this, do not fall for the lie. Don't fall for the lie that your relationship with Jesus is on your shoulders. Jesus chose you. He loved you. Even like when I was a hard, ignorant, atheist and hated God. How does an atheist hate God? In the atheist world, God doesn't exist, right? Well, that's what happens when you're a teenage atheist. You, you, your mind isn't really formed properly yet. So you don't question yourself about those things. I hated Christianity. Don't know why. I had never opened a Bible once in my life. I'd never been in a church. I had no idea who Jesus was. Hated him had an attitude. Jesus loved me then. In fact, you say, how far back did that love go? Well, he came into the world with that love for you. He went to Calvary with that love for you. In fact, when he was born, he was choosing you. That's why he was born. When he went to Calvary, he was choosing you. That's why he went to Calvary. That's why he went to the cross. Romans 8, 38 through 39 says, 
I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels or principalities or powers or things present or things to come in the future or high points, low points in life or any other creature or being shall be able to separate me from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ. God's keeping me. I am persuaded. My persuasion isn't resting in my ability to live this life without stumbling. I'm persuaded that when I do stumble, Jesus is running with me. He will pick me up when I do stumble. That's what I'm persuaded. I'm persuaded that he loves me. He chose me. That's all I have to say about this this morning. I'd like you just to take a moment and close your eyes. Just because I want you to think this thought and see if you can embrace this thought for yourself. Just, it's just you, your existence, and God who created you. Can you embrace the thought, God chose you? Can you say to yourself, God chose me. I know God chose me. The minute you say that, things pop up in our mind that are indicators that we're not living like holy people. Arguments why maybe we shouldn't be chosen. Know today he chose you because of himself, his love for you, and he is working in your life. He will bring you to that destination for the rest of your life, you are his. For eternity, you are his. You belong to him. He loves you. He will never let you go. And your life, if you have 10 more years, 50 more years, doesn't matter. You actually have a whole eternity stretched out in front of you. Eye has not seen the Bible says, nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love him. There is a magnificent eternity ahead. And however exciting and attractive the world presently is, eternity will be much more than that. Much more than that. And so you are his forever. Hallelujah. You are a chosen man and a chosen woman of God. Stand with me.